I think we're live. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I, yeah. I think we're live. We are live. So you are listening to MiseryTourisms.com. Mis- Fuck. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm just going to cut this part <laughs> <No>. out. <okay. laughs> we, we oh, good. That, that's all right. Okay, give me some dead air. Okay, so we are live. Uh, you're listening to MiseryTourism.com's Misery Movies podcast, and we are on we're on episode nine, believe it or not. What basically to give you the gist of what this podcast is is every episode we do a deep dive into a different miserable movie, a different movie about human suffering, and that's a pretty wide kind of <laughs> fuck it. Oh, I'm <laughs> fucked up today. <laughs> anyway, Aww. okay, okay. Anyway, um, today I am joined by um some of our contributors. First of all, I'm joined by Misery Tourism co-founder Rudy, who's back on the podcast. Hey, Rudy. Yo. I'm also joined by regular Misery Tourism contributor AJ. Yo. And for the first time on the podcast, we have Misery Tourism contributor Tom. Hey, Tom. Hello. Hello. Hey, Tom. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of cut um, you off there. But in this episode, we're going to be talking about a documentary, actually, that Rudy picked. The Eagles of Death Metal Nosa Me. Did I say that, pronounce that right, Rudy? You're the one who took French. And- I, I don't remember any French, but I think that's about right. <laughs> Nosa Me? Okay. Nosa Me. Yep. Nosa Me. Okay. I did not take French. I took Spanish, and I, I forgot all of that as well. So, um, Rudy, do you want to introduce the film to us? Sure. Uh, this is basically a movie. It's a documentary. Uh, I think Colin Hanks is the filmmaker. Yeah, he um, is. <laughs> it's about the terrorist attack uh, in November 2015 in Paris that uh, killed a bunch of people. Uh, but there was a band playing uh, in the Bataclan Theater, which was one of the places, one of the locations that was attacked. And uh, their show was interrupted by the attack. And this documentary is about roughly how they go back to the, basically the scene of where they were performing and uh, perform essentially an encore show um, or well finish their show that they were interrupted by the terrorist attack. Right. Yeah. I mean, technically they go back to a different theater, but they go back to Paris and they they do a new performance and they invite, some of the survivors of the attack to attend the performance as well. And the yeah, documentary. That's the nose of me. Right. Which is our friends. Did I? Did our I friends. Have that right? yes. yes. Okay. Right. And so the documentary mostly follows the Eagles of death metal, which was a band that was performing at the Bataclan theater that night. But it also kind of weaves in some narrative, uh, some testimonials, I don't know, some <laughs> some interviews with individuals who were there attending the performance that night who survived. Rudy, since you picked the movie, do you want to get the discussion started here? Um, oh, one thing I should do before we start the discussion, for anyone new to the podcast, the structure of the podcast is basically this. The first half of the podcast, we talk about the movie in general terms. We talk about the movie broadly, like the themes of the movie, 
Uh, maybe we kind of touch lightly on the plot. Uh, but the main thing is that we try to steer clear of spoilers in the first half of the episode. And finally, at the end of the first half of the episode, we do we each offer our review of the film and kind of give the film a sort of crude rating. And then we transition to the second half of the podcast where we really dive deep into the film. And during that part of the podcast, we do do spoilers. So just keep that in mind. You're safe. Uh, for listening to the first half of the podcast if you haven't seen the film. But if you haven't seen the film and you want to see the film, we'll give you a warning. We're going to spoilers now, and that might be a time to pause the podcast and then come back later. Okay. So, Rudy, how do you want to get the discussion about this film started? All right. Well, just to uh, start it off, I guess I'll say uh, one reason I had trouble describing what this film was about is because uh, this is actually a film I think about a lot of different things uh one among them is a uh, camaraderie i guess between <laughs> specifically between men <laughs> I guess. yeah I, I mean this is definitely uh arguably this is one of the first films especially modern films i've seen that's really about like intimate male friendship that wasn't set during wartime <laughs> yes, <You know>? yeah <laughs> it's uh i mean the band it starts off kind of with their with the the front man uh his uh jesse right jesse yeah you know his journey basically to become boots electric the guy in the band you know and his journey with his persona yeah (laughs) exactly and uh and there's a real close relationship between him and joshua who is the other guy yes very close <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty close um he, he's the front man of uh the queens of the stone age right um and i guess the first half well not the first half of it the first like quarter of the movie is basically like how the band was formed and uh but there during that time there's a lot of stuff about their closeness and their intimate kind of friendship because mm-hmm. it talks it starts he starts out by telling this anecdote about how like you know jesse was trapped in this pool by some bullies and then he came and, you know, basically saved him and let him was able to get him out of the pool. I guess you know this was during right. high school, <laughs> right? And right. they kind of the narrative kind of from there shapes around that, around these two men, their friendship, and you know how that was affected by and impacted by the terrorist attack, and uh, how I guess how they use that to get through the terrorist attack too. You know, right, how they use right. it. and uh, that that's a theme that goes throughout a good part of the movie so i think i guess we should probably talk about that right a little bit we should um <laughs> so <laughs> i mean let let let's just get there let, let's just get this out of the way okay someone, yes. has to, someone has to say this this is in some ways a deeply homoerotic movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> Not wrong. We don't need to dance around that fact. It's interesting, though. I mean, there's an argument to be made that if you portrayed a female friendship in exactly the same way that this male friendship is portrayed in a documentary or in a fictional film, it doesn't matter, that no one would say secret there's this like lesbian vibe running through this film. No one would say that, that. right? Because it's about two guys. And they're obviously very close and very like emotionally interdependent on each other. Right. If that makes sense, there's a definite there's a you 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 feel a gay vibe, and I wonder how fair that is. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 that's that's the thing. Like, I mean, I guess I it's like really there were more not... things than just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I feel like there was a little more than just that. Like, it wasn't <laughs> like, just that they were emotional with each other. Right. Yeah. Well, they had, I mean, they had the a... cape. The cape. <laughs> the cape and, yeah, the, the handlebar mustache or whatever. Well, I guess not handlebar, a full handlebar mustache. But right. The, uh... And the one guy's way of speaking, not Jesse, the other one. Like Josh. he was, he had, he had a serious gay voice. I mean, <laughs> his his voice sounded exactly like stereotypical gay voice. But but Tom, but, there are some guys who have more. <laughs> <laughs> there are some guys who may have more effeminate. Um, higher voices were not necessarily I don't think he's talking about the pitch of the voice I don't... no I'm not talking about the pitch there's just a certain there's a certain quality to it an intonation uh, yeah you could call it that yeah it's not the yeah. pitch uh, there are plenty of you know high pitched voices that don't sound gay even on guys but this the way just just the way that voice came out of his mouth was was not straight we'll say it was not straight well, i mean the voice aside like there was a lot of stuff that um i mean i'm not gonna get into whether these guys are gay or not right now um but like they're like I understand with like rock and roll and like you know people in a band and who are cool and whatever they like a lot of times they use like these neologisms and stuff that uh yeah. but the way they were used in the film kind of portrayed a gay vibe I don't I can't really point to any exact examples but like kind of especially when he was talking about his boots and uh you know the, yeah. you know the rollerblading and stuff like that you know how he's like you know like well he was boots before but now he's boots electric you know and that's right like, there's something he... kind of flamboyant about flamboyant personas. yeah um and and this is an this i i kind of brought this up when we were watching the film but when you're cultivating this kind of rock persona and you're mm. obviously stealing from the, the, the performers who you're ripping off the hardest just happen to be very flamboyantly gay men like Freddie Mercury and Liberace. Right. I mean, there's a lot of – in his persona, in, especially right. in Jesse's persona perhaps more than Josh, in his stage persona, but also he seems to have so completely internalized his stage persona that it's hard to tell where that ends and he begins. But right. it's obvious that that persona owes a real debt particularly to Freddie Mercury, but also to some degree to Liberace and some of these yeah. other, you know, performers for whom that kind of flamboyance is a part of like, you, you know, just as much a part of their their stage performance as it is a part of their like, you know, um, lifestyle or <laughs> orientation. Uh -oh, uh, be that, careful here. <laughs> <laughs> however you want to say it. And I, I mean, I think that's what's that's what's going on to some degree is yeah like to what degree is this like homoerotic and to what degree is he just like co-opting like right yeah. vaguely gay seeming culture you know right. I mean, that's an interesting line to walk i guess that uh yeah i guess for a lot of rockers and stuff i mean they have to do that you know but it was interesting in the film especially you know given the emotional uh situation between the two men you know the i mean it 
it definitely added some another dimension to that. It it certainly did, and maybe we're looking too deeply into it, or not deeply enough into it. I mean, I still think there's an argument to be made that you know guys can be close without it necessarily being a gay thing, but society like really yeah wants it to be a gay, and and we were almost programmed yeah. and conditioned to like you see two guys hugging and you're like you know you want to like whistle or something is whistling the appropriate thing (laughs) i don't know i'm not sure um it's kind of interesting that here's a movie about a terrorist attack that killed 89 people inside a theater and we want to talk about like (laughs) are the two main guys eh, you know (laughs) i don't know aj Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead, H. Uh. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I feel like I've seen a lot of movies and stuff where guys hug, or even in real life, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't even think anything of it. It was just the whole package. And I know I keep bringing this up, but it was really, really, there was, it was really, really suspect. Yeah. One thing, though, I mean, I did mention that when this that kind of like intimate male friendship shows up in film it's usually in war films and it usually has to do with like the way people bond under the trauma of war so it's really interesting to see it in a film that's in some ways about people coping with basically post-traumatic stress right yeah so that the like even though this is a documentary so obviously these aren't like intentional choices on the part of some filmmaker well not (coughs) completely anyway the weird parallel there with war films and the way like yeah. men bond and cope under war, uh, under conditions of war, and that kind of brutality versus the way these two guys have maybe become closer in the aftermath of experiencing this pretty horrific terrorist attack. I mean, it's an right. interesting parallel. I mean, I'm not sure it was 100% not intentional mm-hmm. because it seems like there's a theme, a real theme in this uh this documentary about like i don't want to use the term culture war but like a war the a war of values right you know you have western values on one hand you know, right and then you have isis you know values on the other hand right. i guess and um you know that kind of war between two not societies but two different values clashing that's a right. theme of the movie i think and i think that was kind of used or exploited in other in, in order to uh you know to get to get that across basically you know right you know the, the uh, whole have... idea of bonding in a war and that kind of thing is you know it's like well they're not actually fighting in a war zone but they're embroiled in this con this greater larger conflict yeah that this cultural conflict right cultural this conflict is... that's happening everywhere and i guess right. that might be kind of a you know something about terrorism or you know a statement about terrorism or whatever right. you know it can get anywhere on that kind of thing and i think one of the greatest weaknesses of this film is the way it engaged with or really failed to engage with that theme <laughs> especially in terms of like what is motivating these terrorist attacks right uh i felt like that perspective it like this was portrayed basically as a simple act of like completely senseless brutality which i suppose it right. is but there's no real attempt to figure out like for example the terrorists are left totally unexplored i don't think they even mention right. the names 
No, there's um, no the name. Right. And they don't go into their lives at all. They don't go into like how they became radicalized right. and um, how you know how they ended up in a th- how they ended up shooting 89 people in a theater and then blowing themselves up. Right. And the failure to engage with that, I think, is a shame because mm. I feel like this is a rare documentary about terrorism that would probably is probably equally effective as a piece of like feel good American propaganda mm. and as an ISIS recruiting film. Right. <laughs> I was going to say something about that too. Yeah, go ahead. But the one level on which this movie fails, I think, is as a an honest to goodness, inquisitive, thoughtful documentary. Yeah, I think I that if you are watching it and you want to say, yeah, like, you know, it's it, it's our American right to fucking rock out or whatever. Yeah. That really like the like excesses of rock and roll culture, which are like in some ways perfectly personified by the Eagles of Death Metal. All of what you might, if you were not being charitable, describe as the vices of American culture are in some ways perfectly on the screen there in yeah. that forum. And if you think that's what's awesome about our culture, this kind of unrestrained hedonism on one hand, and certainly like unrestrained indulgence in any kind of speech that you want to indulge in, you know, if you think, then this is like a rallying cry to like, as he says at one point, shake your tits and ass, right? <laughs> like, and that, and that is offered at one point in the film almost as a moral imperative in the face of Islamic terrorism. Like, right, that's, get that's on stage literally what... and shake your booty, and that's how we're going to beat these motherfuckers. <laughs> that, that's literally almost what was said, so yeah. Whereas, if you are operating from the ISIS point of view, if you're operating from that point of view and you watch this movie and you be you're told by your recruiter your recruiter or whoever beforehand that American culture is crass, is hedonistic, it has no depth, uh, is exploitative. You you know, if you're if you're offered that whole line of like the corrupt the morally corrosive influence of Western culture and then you sit down and watch your movie, you're like, damn, the motherfucker was right. <laughs> Lock and yeah. load. <laughs> you, you put you my almost... best on me now. Like I'm doing yeah. this for my kids at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean you could you could almost see the ISIS recruiter there with a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> So just going down the line, it's like, you know, there's the part where he says, you know, rock and roll ruin your life. You know, he says that in the movie at some point. Then <laughs> there's a the part where he says, you know, I just want to see everybody shaking their ass and their titties and whatever else. And then there's, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. There's just it, all, all the things, all of the there's just so many like catchphrases this is a this is a catchphrase documentary i mean that's yeah. that's what it is i mean there's just so many things they say individually that could be used you know but from someone else's perspective say the isis perspective to say you know yeah this is basically what's wrong with the world <laughs> you know this, this yeah. is what's wrong with this type this culture i mean that's what yeah exactly and because the movie doesn't offer any kind of like thoughtful counterbalance to the lead singer of the Eagles of Death Metal going on just these weird sort of manic depressive rants. <laughs> uh, like because the movie doesn't really, because the movie isn't introspective really because it's more propagandistic because it's more at work of propaganda than a work of introspection. I think that it's a movie that's going to confirm your biases, even if 
your biases are not the biases that the movie was trying to confirm, even if they're the biases right. that the movie is trying to counteract. Because yeah, exactly. the movie is not thoughtful, because it's not ambiguous or nuanced, right. you're going to walk away from it. Like, just however you felt going in, you're going to walk out feeling the same way. Right, that's the thing. And that's one thing maybe wanted to talk about is uh as a documentary this isn't a very good uh i didn't think it was a very good documentary i did not either he said it's basically a work of propaganda and it's also just uh it's very direct in a way that's not well i won't say it's not interesting because that kind of brings me to my next point is this is a good popcorn documentary (laughs) (laughs) i really did enjoy watching because like i said the quotables and some of the shit that's just over the top and it said and i mean with a rock and roll documentary i think we talked about this a little bit during the thing like in a rock and roll documentary like you expect certain things like you expect yes. um you expect it to be over the top you expect you know the drug abuse and the mm-hmm. i mean the you expect to see basically people blow up i mean that's what you're yeah there right. for. i mean but this one i mean was literally people blowing up <laughs> 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 hey, this, right. To combine those two things with, you know, the, the terrorist attack and, you know, the rock and roll documentary, I think there is some potential there. There's definitely a lot of that's a really, really interesting thing. I because think. Both, oh, sorry. Go on. Well, because both involve people essentially on the brink ready to explode. I mean, the, you have right. on one hand terrorists who are radicalized because of things happening in their life and because of, you know, stuff you know, going on in the country or whatever. And then you have people, you know, at home or, you know, the rockers, you know, who have those same feelings. I mean, it's the same type of deal, you know, and they're basically ready to explode too, but they explode in a different way. And that, that type of, that juxtaposition is interesting, but this documentary didn't really do anything with that, which is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that for a lot of reasons, this had just if you took its subject matter purely, if you took just what actually happened in Paris on that night, and if you just took the Eagles of Death Metal and the um, <laughs> the eccentricities of the personalities involved in the Eagles of Death Metal, yeah, uh, and you took that, made a documentary out of it. I think there is so much. There was really the potential for this to be a truly great documentary, and I don't think it was. But before I get into that too much, I do want to bring Tom and AJ back in here. So, so Tom, how, how did you feel about this, like, as a documentary? Uh, I, kind, kind of in the middle. I didn't think it was great, but I didn't think it was, you know, as bad as it could have been. Because they, I mean, they interviewed, you know, they didn't, like, like Rudy said, they didn't interview or, you know, well, they didn't uh, go into the backstories of any of the ISIS guys they just they totally left that but they interviewed several people who'd been to the who'd been present there and you know got their take on it it would have been pretty great if they could have interviewed like the terrorists that would have been excellent (laughs) they could have done that that would have made it that would have been that would have been a beautiful documentary even after the fact you know yeah (laughs) just just a silent Pan through whatever graveyard or <laughs> actually like, that would have been have awesome. A microphone to a corpse or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See that would have been metal right there. That, that's yeah, that would have been real metal. That would have been death metal. <laughs> Jesse should have had the microphone and he should have walked up to the graves of the ISIS fighters and you know basically you know been like yeah fuck you. Huh. 
<laughs> I, I, honestly, I'm surprised they didn't do that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> with as over the top as that guy. I mean, some of the rants in that were just beyond like awesome. But yeah. AJ? Um, I definitely agree with everything that's been said on its quality as a documentary. Um, as a movie, I thought it was extremely entertaining. <laughs> um, like it, it's it's a good story. <laughs> like and yeah. like yeah. If nothing else, it's it's worth watching, you know, just for the catchphrases and and I always bring up aesthetics, but like, you know, mm. this movie looked great. I, I loved how it looked. Did it? It did. I I enjoyed, you know, the scenes that they had in there. Some of them were, you know, documentary quality, like reenactment, questionable, you know, but it, it still worked. And then combine that with all of like the completely insane outfits that the lead characters <laughs> yeah, sure. and it, it was just absolutely great. Like there's actually I'll go into that later, but um yeah, as a as a movie it, it was really entertaining. I know like nothing about, you know, rock and roll or these bands <laughs> or, you know, documentaries really, but I enjoyed it more than I have a lot of other movies. Okay. I feel that if you go into it looking for a comedy rather than a documentary, <laughs> you will not be disappointed. Yeah. Huh, AJ, honestly, stylistically, I thought this was a pretty boring documentary. Like, I, I didn't feel like they were doing anything really interesting with it besides the very typical sort of talking head thing. Like, I don't think there were many particularly interesting shots in this documentary, nor do I think that they, like, did anything that really elevated it above your average episode of, like, 48 hours or Unsolved Mysteries or something. You know, we're... I, I enjoyed some of the scenes a lot. Like, it's definitely not in my top picks, but mm -hmm. it stood out to me more than other documentaries I've watched. And granted, that's that's not a lot. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But... There were a couple of shots, particularly like um, in the beginning, uh, there, there were interviewing the two main characters. One of the main characters, Adipool, no, it, it was like a nighttime scene of some sort, but he was describing images of a pool. And oh, then yeah. they inserted um, like a reenactment type mm. of footage in there. And I thought that that was... It was a really cool setting. Most of the interviews took place of of Joshua, the um, the Queens drummer. Queens of the Stone Age guy. Yeah. yeah, and and Queens of the Stone Age. Um, most of his interviews came from that place, and I thought that was it was just a really cool setting to have him in. It, I'm not sure why, but it really um, it gave it a type of aura. I don't know, mm. but most of the most of the shots of Jesse, I thought, were composed really interestingly because it seemed staged, like everything went together. And most yeah. of that is because of the outfits that he picked and, you know, <laughs> just what he looks like. But um, all of the places were interesting. And it wasn't that they were at cool angles or they did something particularly interesting with it, but it all looked pretty amazing just kind of because of the subject matter yeah i, mean, I, I think there's something oh sorry no no really go ahead 
But I think there's something to be said about the way the shots with the two men were framed because yeah, uh, like you said, like the shots kind of convey the aesthetics of the men themselves. Like Jesse, like he's always either you know like dressed in some weird costume or dancing on the stage or <laughs> yeah. you know grabbing his dick or you know something right. like, like that. You know, all of the shots were framed really tightly to cultivate this his you know personality. You know, right. to show the display. You know, whereas you know Joshua uh, is always like you know he's kind of serious. Sometimes he's, you know, he's seated most of the time and he's in... He's cool, great, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. he's aloof yeah. and he's cool and he's confident, he's which cool. is everything Jesse is not. <laughs> yeah, or he's like in the studio, you know, doing work and stuff. It's like, it kind of cultivates the personality I, or the persona I think they wanted to put across, which was him as kind of like a like a protector or like, a, you know, the one kind of who's got it together, you know, I right. mean, uh, and the shots definitely work towards that. And like AJ said, some of the costuming and stuff was just, yeah. I mean, that, that was just amazing. <laughs> like the capes and the, yeah. I could also yeah. like say that um, some of the shots were framed very patriotically. Mm, um, yeah. Like particularly the scene and this, I don't know, it goes back to, um, you know, how their male friendship is helping them through post-traumatic stress disorder, but they were walking through a tunnel of some sort to go somewhere, and there were a couple different angles that they got shots of, and it, it, it kind of just... I, I appreciated the emotions that they were conveying in that sense, not, like, at face value, but, um, <laughs> you know, like as as a comedy sort of and the the shots of them together were put together very well to again create that kind of polarizing you know opinion of you could look at it and be like oh wow this is really moving this is you know which i think is what they were hoping (laughs) yep and then you can look at it the other way and be like oh this is really hilarious right (laughs) uh i think that's an interesting point that you brought up especially about the way the shots of Jesse are framed, I it hadn't occurred to me before, but you're right. He was always, like, the camera was always very tight on his face, or often mm-hmm. very tight on his face. Whereas Joshua, it's pulled back. It's giving him yeah. some room, and it, it's allowing him to seem more aloof and cool-headed. It got, there, so there is are some ways in which the shots are matching the personalities of the uh of the I want I want to say characters because they basically are, but the individual yeah. is being profiled. <laughs> One thing, though, while I was watching this documentary, I couldn't help but think, like, how would Errol Morris do this documentary differently? (laughs) Because in some ways, this has the trademarks of an Errol Morris documentary, right? First and foremost, it has a central character who is this kind of quirky, eccentric guy who's also probably pretty deeply delusional and who's definitely totally enraptured with himself and caught up in his own world, which is, if you look at the kind of individuals who Errol Morris profiles, that's pretty much exactly who he goes after. Even when, even McNamara is that kind of guy in some way, you know, this really verbose guy who on his sur- on the surface seems to have a very cohesive worldview but that worldview is like rooted in more in what he's failing to see about himself and the world than in what in, in any actual incisive like connection with reality and you've got that in spades with jesse and also this like link to this act of 
violence. You take a character who has this sort of psychological, I don't want to say problem, but who has this, there's a piece missing psychologically, right? Uh, or there's some kind of emotional need that's unfulfilled. Or there, There's just something missing there. Like with McNamara, you become increasingly aware while you're watching The Fog of War that what's missing is really like to some degree empathy or humanity <laughs> or something that this man is in some way almost robotic in his perception in the world of the world um and in uh like mr death i, I do you remember the name of the Fred lurcher lurcher yeah where here you have this guy whose expertise is basically creating implements of execution, right? And who eventually like goes and tries to investigate the Holocaust and becomes a Holocaust denier. <laughs> you could see how there's this kind of something missing in his personality. There's like this need, this emotional need to be accepted or needed or wanted. Yeah. And this failure to see the bigger picture going on with him. Yeah, definitely. And, and in both of those films, as in a, several, a few other Errol Morris films, something in, similar happens in the Thin Blue Line, too. But where you have these characters, and then they're forced to interact with, like, a great moment of tragedy or with this larger, like, humanitarian concern, right? Whether it's the war in Vietnam, in McNamara's case, or the Holocaust, in the case of Mr. Death. And, like, that becomes a lens through which you see how this person is actually kind of deeply lacking as a human. <laughs> and <laughs> and so this movie has that. It In Jesse, it has a character who is psychologically disconnected from reality i mean let's face it who, who's kind of in his own little world then you have the like catalyzing moment of tragedy in the terrorists attack and if errol morris was doing this documentary he'd be so deep inside jesse's fucking head right and he'd be and he'd be teasing out all these contradictions all these inconsistencies all these moments that would make you say huh like how do i feel about this but instead yeah. colin hanks seems to buy into Jesse's philosophy 150 fucking percent. And <laughs> he's almost blinded by that, you know? And we, we don't... One thing that's really interesting is I was reading about the band a little bit after this. And there was actually a... It's not covered by the do documentary. And I don't know if it's not covered by the documentary exactly because Colin Hanks wants us... Wants the band to be proxies for us. Wants our perspective on the attack and the band's perspective on the attack to be one and the same, or if it just didn't make it in because it happened after the documentary was filmed. But Jesse actually got himself in some pretty deep shit because he was peddling after this, he was peddling conspiracy theories about how like Muslim members of the security staff at the Bataclan theater were secretly in on the attack. And right. it became this whole like controversy. That's oh, right. not mentioned at all in the movie, and you see moments. And I don't—I want to say like some of this for this part with spoilers, but you do see moments in the movie that hint at that—that that yeah. there might that this thing had that he was already psychologically addled to begin with, and that this might have been a sort of tipping point for him, and that maybe he isn't a reliable narrator. <laughs> um, no, but the, <laughs> right? but the, the documentary does as much to prop him and his perspective up as possible. And I think that's a shame because I think someone like Errol Morris would have made a really interesting documentary out of this. Yeah, true. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely.
I'm just shocked and sad that they didn't include that part in there. That would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and not, not just for comedic reasons, but you know, I like conspiracy theories. I'd want to hear his crap. It would have added to the movie. You see sure. it go off on some Muslims or something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it definitely would have been interesting. It would have added some... <laughs> Like, the movie is so, like, sold on the idea that he's this harmless, quirky rock star who personifies everything that's fun and almost uplifting about rock and roll culture. Mm -hmm. It would have been really interesting if the movie had been a little bit more critical of him and a little bit more skeptical of his point of view. Now, I want to ask you guys something. Had any of you listened to the Eagles of Death Metal's music prior to watching this documentary? I mean, I had. Nope. No? I had not. I, I listened to them on the day of the attack because I saw the band mentioned in the the, uh, the articles and stuff. Right. Have any of you gone back and, besides Rudy, who has heard them, have either of you gone back and listened to them at all since watching the documentary? Nope. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I, I, <didn't laughs> I see what's going on here. <laughs> I see the point trying to be made here. I did actually go back and listen to it. I did try to listen to some of their songs after uh, watching the documentary. Mm. Um, for what? Partially because very few of their songs are featured in the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> or they're featured kind yeah. of quickly. You see a lot of performances at start. Mm. And then they don't really... Like, mm. this is really weird for a concert film, right? For a, a musical documentary. I don't, with the possible exception of the very end of the movie, and with, I don't think you see the band perform a full song beginning from beginning to yeah. end, or even most of a song from beginning to end. But you see a lot, an awful lot of moments where of Jesse interacting with the crowd before he starts the song or after he's finished a song. So uh, yeah. I don't know, guys. I guess what I'm trying to ask is. Based on what you've heard, what are your opinions of the Eagles of Death Metal as a yeah. band? See, are my musical tastes here under attack again? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can start us off, Rudy. All right, well, no, I mean, I actually don't really like this band. And when I heard them the day of the attack, I was I was perusing the internet, looking for a uh, you know a a feel-good song to, to rock out to while I watch the the Reddit feeds of the attack or whatever. But, uh, and <laughs> I did actually find one in that, uh, that, you know, uh, oh, what is it? What is that song that I was singing today? I don't know. It was some really poppy, uh, I think it was a One Direction song, maybe? But it wasn't an Eagles of Death Metal song. It was not an Eagles of Death Metal song, and that is kind of the point. Their music is just kind of forgettable. Like, I don't, I didn't, I don't know. It sounds like everything else sounds. And in the documentary, he kind of makes reference to that. He's like, well, there's nothing original under the sun and there's nothing, you know, you can't really make original music. So just try to rock as hard as you can or whatever. But I, this is not music that would get me like, I don't know, that would really get me pumped or anything. You know, it, it just, I don't know. It was just kind of mediocre, I thought. I mean, they also mentioned in the documentary, like, this band is a live band, like yeah, this yeah. band is meant to be experienced in concert. So which you know. makes it even more perplexing that they didn't show any <laughs> live performances or very few. <laughs> I, right. I think it's because they're not, they're first and foremost, they're performers, then they're magicians, yeah. they're magicians, yeah. music, 
I think they may even be magicians before they be magicians. Yeah, I, I agree with with you one hundred percent, Tom. I mean, I think, uh, frankly, I think their mu- music is shit. I, <laughs> I didn't like when I heard. It. Yeah. I think it's I, and I'm honestly like looking at their name and listening to a few of their songs. I really can't tell if they're a joke band or not. They're in this kind of. <laughs> no, because like their name, like Eagle, the Eagles of Death Metal, considering yeah. the fact that they're not a death metal band, and like the Eagles, I, like that whole name yeah. conveys to me, oh, this is a novelty act, right? This is a, a yeah. joke band, and some of their lyrics shade into that territory, yeah. but they don't like they they never become like Weird Al Yankovic or anything though. I, no. They never really get there, but they never really get back on the other side of the line either. And yeah, it's no. in this weird, like, ambiguous area where it's – and it's not even, like, Fallout Boy bad, which is to say that, like, the thing about Fallout Boy that I love is they're this kind of self – they're kind of self-consciously bad. And mm-hmm. lyrically, there's a lot of – there's this weird vacillation between being self-deprecating and being, like, my shit don't stink, right? Like, being, so, like, right. totally inflated with ego on one hand. And then, like, totally self-critical on the other. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like the perfect balance that you have to strike if you're a sort of bad band, you know? And at one point, someone in an interview, one of their fans, while they're being interviewed, basically says, they're like the Rolling Stones, but in a bad way. And it's this guy's <laughs> yeah. French, so maybe, it, it, like, bad means a different thing to him. But, but I don't yeah. think he meant, like, bad to the bone bad, you know? <laughs> I, I think he meant, they're like the Rolling Stones, but shitty. <laughs> but it <laughs> yeah, works for that's them. That's after that, but it works for them. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I really feel like this band is totally a function of this guy's persona, which is mm. why they were showing more of him interacting with the crowd than him performing. Because that, like, mm. when they say, "Oh, it's more about the performances," as, as Tom noted, like what they're really saying is it's more about this guy going up on stage and grabbing his dick and spanking his ass and acting like a, like a fool <laughs> and like being a clown, you know? Yeah. And, and in that case, okay. <laughs> but yeah. what, what are we putting on a pedestal then really in this documentary? I mean, is this what rock and roll is the Rolling Stones, but bad? <laughs> is, is, that, is that where we are as a culture? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we're exporting and if so i mean honestly some part of me would put on a suicide vest in response <laughs> to that too. <laughs> not so much in, in like deference to like you know islamic culture as like in deference to bob dylan you know? <laughs> yeah i mean as far as the bad and the rolling stones but bad i mean I mean, like you said, a lot of the things seem like a joke band type deal, especially like the songs of the or the titles of the songs. There's one like "Whore Banging" or something, or "Whore Something," "Whore Hopping," and then like in parentheses as "Shit Goddamn" or something. I mean, that's the title of the song. <laughs> like, so in some ways, like, and the lyric lyrically, they're that way kind of too. And even performance-wise, you know, he's up there imitating, you know, some of these acts like Queen and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but imitating it in kind of a, you know... Almost, almost like a joke. Yes, yeah, exactly. But, 
like they they played it serious as a fucking heart attack in the documentary. I mean, he was serious <laughs> about rock and roll. I mean, this, <laughs> yeah. this was a guy. I mean, like I don't know. See, I I don't I don't know if that's part of the persona, you know, where he's talking about you know like rock and roll and all of this stuff. But a lot of the things he said, like where he said where he was talking about rock and roll and like the spirit of rock and roll and all that stuff. A lot of them reminded me of the, like, Gigi Allen quote. He said, you know, like, my body's a temple of rock and roll or something like that. <laughs> you know, like, right. like, it was that kind of weird. And it's like, these guys are playing it straight. You know, yeah. I mean, they they actually believe this shit. So, I mean, it's like, and I thought that was interesting, you know, just to see that contrasted with, you know, right. I guess the ISIS guys who, you know, also believe some shit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just it was really interesting. I mean, I don't know. It, it was interesting, and it, it is difficult, I guess, to tell whether or not they do walk the line between that kind of bad and bad. So, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think a better, more critical documentary would have gotten at that, and would have gotten at, like you said, Rudy, almost like the absurdity of ideology or the absurdity of principle, yeah. right? Because on yeah. one hand, you have these suicide bombers who are principled in a sense and who take those principles like deadly seriously, hmm. De- like literally deadly seriously, literally, like, yeah. literally as literal as you can get. And if you really contrasted that with this guy who takes everything he stands for deadly seriously and how absurd the things he stands for are, and then you yeah. were able to fold that back on terrorism yeah. On, you would have, I think it would have opened up a door, you know? I think it would have revealed yeah. something about, like, the nature of terrorism and about the yeah. nature of ideology and about how weird it is to have principles that you put on a pedestal like that. Whether those yeah. principles are a very traditional interpretation of Islam or, like... Like, like a very the, traditional interpretation of rock and roll. <laughs> not even. I mean, I don't know. I mean, a, a very like rock and roll hedonism, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I want to. AJ, Tom, do you want to get in on this conversation at all? I mean, I like hedonism, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I I like that part about rock. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Actually, Tom, I'd like to hear. Like, how did you feel? Because of all of us, you would probably be the most open to like Jesse's worldview, I think. Uh, being a little bit more like I, I don't know, basically <laughs> not being a complete prude or or like you know we are like or a complete shut in. I mean, or a complete yeah. shut in or a or a, a, a um you know what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm basically a shut in now, but. Yeah. yeah, but um, not being, you know, <laughs> what is the word I'm looking for? It's it's like a weird Freudian block where you know when a word describes you too well, you mm. can't think of it. <laughs> um, you know, like the word for some snob. <laughs> not being a snob. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> but yeah, you could definitely say I'm not a, a snob. Uh, so, how did you kind of feel about Jesse's kind of rock and roll hedonistic stick? Uh, I mean, he, hedonism's great, but I think Jesse was just full of shit. 
I think he was basically yeah. I think he's basically convinced himself that he's this awesome dude, but he's like still that little dude that got pushed into the pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. but he, uh, he covers that up with, you know, the glamour and the adoration he gets rocking out. And I mean shit, if I got all the attention that he gets, I'd I'd pro- and you know, if I had any talent to be a shitty or not a shitty musician, I'd <laughs> a shitty or not shitty musician. And I'd probably do it. Yeah. I mean I I definitely think you're right. I think that all that bombast is covering like this deep bottomless well of insecurity. Uh and not covering it well. Like <laughs> like I feel like if the wrong toddler wander wandered into the field, like that cover is coming off that well and that kid's drowning, you know? <laughs> like that that is not secured tightly at all. Which um, we kind of saw throughout the documentary a little bit yeah 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 at certain points it it leaks the Could wind also blew be... and the cover came off a little bit <laughs> yeah. yeah well Could it also... literally leaked considering how many times he cries he doesn't he doesn't really seem to cry at the appropriate times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like well, like when he's talking about you know when he's just talking about in general all the carnage that went on. He never really seemed to cry, but whenever he mentioned anything that had to do with him or whenever he, you know, remembered, basically whenever he remembered something that had to do with him, he was, he'd just start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's, defi- there's I also definitely feel that, something. Sorry. Yes. I also feel that it might not be just that he's full of shit. It might, he might, he might be like, you know, have some sort of, like you were mentioning before, he might have some mental issues. <laughs> it may not just be he's a you know he's full of shit. He might have some genuine mental issues there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, something is going on with him. And I mean, there's also I mean, you have to take into account probably post traumatic stress too. And yeah. you have to figure all of these interviews are from after the attack. So the fact that. Josh, who wasn't there during the attack, is able to seem so cool and collected, while Jesse, who was there and saw it, is, like, losing his shit. I mean, you can't count out... But I do feel like this is the guy he is. And if even yeah. if he hadn't... Even if the roles were reversed, I feel like it'd be coming out emotionally in the same way. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think you're right, Tom, on that level, that it's like... And you're right, there is something like deeply inappropriate about the times he cries and the ways that he cries. Like, I- I'm totally, I totally understand why someone who's been through a traumatic event would want to cry, especially when they're reliving that event. But you're right. When he's reliving the event, and I want to get into that, but I don't want to get into it in the spoiler-free version of the podcast. But when he's talking about what happened, it's not like he's calm and cool and collected, but it seems like he's almost into it a little bit. It's almost like yes. he's enjoying telling yeah. that story. Absolutely. It, it sounds like he's enjoying <laughs> telling the story and like he's enjoying crying. Right. But when it gets to like the, the parts that he breaks down is when it gets to like the significance of the band and their role in, yes. you know, in their role in being able to somehow make some bring some kind of peace out of this somehow reconcile this like when he talks about like his responsibility as a musician to make this right somehow which is an absolutely absurd thought to begin with that's (laughs) when he starts to break up you know when it comes like 
when that intersection of like the tragedy and his ego is when he <laughs> loses it. Yeah, I agree. So I do want to. Do, I, I, we probably should move on to our reviews in just a minute here. But I do want to talk about one other thing since it came up. All this talk about like the Rolling Stones, but bad, mm. made me think of another documentary, and, and that documentary is "Give Me Shelter," the mm. Rolling Stones documentary about the the ultimate free concert, which eventually ended with uh, a black guy being stabbed to death by a bunch of hell's angels and that documentary compared to this one it's a really interesting comparison because that documentary is shot in an incredibly neutral way a very Mm. objective distant way like a very naturalistic Mm. way right it doesn't have a lot of talking heads or people pontificating or you know um taking apart what happened It has a lot of just sitting and observing and watching the way people behave and watching the way people respond to things. And also Mm -hmm. just watching this concert just unravel and go to hell. (laughs) Um, And I really wish – and at the end of that film, you end up with with a lot of questions about like the Rolling Stones' culpability in this and also about like the Rolling Stones as a – band and there's something weird about the rolling stones i I really do think that the comparison between the eagles and death metal of death metal and the rolling stones although it's absurd on its face like to compare like one of what was commonly conceived as one of the greatest bands in history with this ridiculous shit show Mm -hmm. uh even though it may (laughs) seem like stupid on its face is actually maybe a deeper undercurrent there where it makes sense in that both bands are deeply superficial if you listen to the rolling stones music and if you watch particularly if you watch performances so much of it is performative right and there's this weird like glossy sheen to everything that masks this kind of almost deep emptiness and especially if you if you watch give me shelter and you really look at mick jagger and keith richards but especially on mick jagger when the performances are going on like physically he's so into it but you look at his eyes and he's like so dead and it's this really (laughs) fascinating kind of like very like performative like intense external persona that masks this sort of emptiness inside and i feel like you have something similar in the eagles of almost like a cartoonish caricature of that in the eagles of death metal where they're all performance they're all show they're all like acting out and like the weird erotic like gyrations he makes on stage (laughs) and stuff and there's nothing at all behind that so i do think that comparison's a little apt and i wish that the colin hanks had brought a little bit more of that give me shelter approach that like naturalistic or like detached approach to this documentary instead of trying to ram ideology ram like sentiment really down our throats constantly i mean give me shelter is fascinating because by the end of the documentary it's not even about the rolling stones anymore you watch like society unravel and you've almost been given this like vision of hell almost it looks like something uh, out of Goya or um, Bosch, right? <laughs> Where it's like the ultimate free concert, which superficially is supposed to be this, like Woodstock too, right? <laughs> becomes this hellscape. <laughs> and <laughs> I wish that, I wish there was more of that too. And I, I also 
on that note, you know there has to be more footage of what happened inside that concert hall oh, than we're lot. shown. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yet we're shown almost nothing. And I'm yeah, sure no. that's as an attempt to be tasteful. It's yeah. an attempt to, like, focus more on the human side of this, not be exploitative or voyeuristic. But, yeah. God, it really needs that, I think. I think that, that the absence of that from this documentary is depriving us of perspective or understanding of what really happened in that concert hall. I agree with that, but also I wish that there was more footage of that because it was fun in a voyeuristic <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts before we move on to our reviews of the film? No? Okay. Rudy, uh, you picked the film, so why don't you offer the first review? Uh, like I said, this is a good popcorn documentary. Uh, as a documentary, I don't think it's really there's really much there. But definitely, if you want some entertainment, and hell, that's why people watch rock and roll documentaries. That's what <laughs> rock and roll is about, is entertainment. Uh, you should definitely watch this movie just to see the spectacle. I mean, just to see the characters. Just to see the characters, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. actually, wait, Rudy, you didn't give it a rating. Oh, that's right, I didn't. Um, I give this film 89 out of five stars <laughs> or five <laughs> i put that up <laughs> okay so 89 out of five uh mockingbirds wait 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 no i fucked it up <laughs> that's 80, 89 out of five vultures is what i give the film God damn go. it. Whatever. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> AJ? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with everything Rudy said. Basically, like, you know, watch it because it's a good story and the way that they present the characters is really entertaining. And there is a bit of, like, a voyeuristic element in it. So if you're that type of person, then, you know, you'll, you'll probably enjoy that bit of it. So I, I would probably give it six out of ten vultures. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. That's better than you gave M, though. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it more. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Tom? Uh, I think if you're anyone who's as hedonistic as I am, you'll be kind of disappointed. Because um, it wasn't nearly exploitative enough, really. But, I, agree. Uh, I mean, as, as a as a comedy and entertain somewhat entertaining comedy, I'd give it I'd give it three and a half vultures out of five. And as a documentary, I'd give it two vultures. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much on the same page as you guys. The personalities on display here, particularly Jesse, but also Josh, and to some degree even a few of the um, the survivors of the attack are pretty interesting. The subject matter is really fascinating. I really think that if you're willing to take this documentary apart inside your head and reconstruct it, <laughs> you have a real, the, the possibility for a really fascinating film here. But as it's presented, I think it's a rather bad documentary. I think it's too didactic. It's too preachy, basically, right? It's too wrapped up in the need to turn basically a really shitty rock band into heroes. <laughs> uh, I think it's oddly disinterested in 
the actual tragedy at the Bataclan Theater or oddly disinterested in why that happened. <laughs> and I, I think it's whole like weird rock and roll can save us vibe, which it <laughs> or message even, which it basically basically goes totally unquestioned in the movie is complete harsh shit. I think it's nonsense. <laughs> I think it's it's possibly the silliest moral I've I mean I hate morals in movie anyway, but I think it's just about the silliest moral you could possibly like squeeze out of like this clash of civilizations or this clash of cultures that's going on right now. Yeah. Uh, so I think that it's a really dumb movie that's being made about a really interesting subject, really multiple really interesting subjects in that like you could make a really fascinating profile of the Eagles of Death Metal and the the personalities involved there and you could do a really fascinating documentary about the massacre at the Bataclan theater and you could even do a really fascinating documentary that combined those two things and really sought after answers or closure or something in the aftermath of that attack but this is definitely not that fucking movie so i i, I give it two out of five vultures so um we are now moving to our spoiler inclusive portion of the podcast or second half if you don't want to be spoiled and you haven't seen the movie which you probably haven't since it's a relatively obscure hbo documentary why don't you pause the podcast right now fire up hbo go find the documentary watch it and come back uh if you don't care about spoilers and it makes sense not to in some ways when you're talking about a documentary particularly since i don't think the fact that this terrorist attack happened should come as a surprise to anyone uh, then just, you know, you can listen to the podcast and then watch the movie afterwards. If you've already seen the film, great. Stick around. Okay. Mm -hmm. But spoilers from here on out. So who wanted to – did anyone have any scenes they really wanted to dig deeply into or anything I'd like really, that? I'd really like to um, go over the scene where he – where Jesse recounts what happened when he saw the gunman in the hallway. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Or maybe yeah. more generally about like his description of what happened that night right, period. Right. Yes. Like he tells through a series of scenes, they have a montage near the middle of the film where it intercuts a bunch of different accounts of what ha actually happened at the theater that night. So you have Jesse's account and it's intercut with the account of their guitarist and the account of some of the audience members who survived the attack. And Jesse's version of events <laughs> is interesting. <laughs> I've got to say that's probably the best part of the film, in my opinion. Why is that? Like, what was it about his description of the attacks? That okay, really so does, does someone else want to kind of describe how he describes it? Cause I can't exactly remember what he said. He, well, yeah. He really, I, I noticed that he really, uh, every, basically every time he talked about it, it was always about what was happening to him. He never described anything else. <laughs> it's like, you know, things, how they happen from his perspective, but he didn't, but almost like he didn't they, notice anything else. I think what I first remember as being like something kind of that I enjoyed was um, he was recounting like, you know, they were starting shooting and as soon as he saw that there was something going on, he like ran as fast as he could off the stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, the left the stage. 
as fast as possible. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. There are a lot of things that really got me about this, but he the account that he's giving now he's a naturally obviously a naturally really verbose guy mm-hmm. and he's the kind of guy who like if he was telling you about his trip to the mailbox it would take half an hour and be full of extraneous details and not only extraneous details but a lot of hyperbole and like you know he'd make the neighbor's dog barking at him from the other side of a fence into like a scene from Saving Private Ryan. That's the kind of guy he is I think naturally. So now presented with the opportunity to describe an honest to goodness tragedy of momentous proportions he really goes all fucking out and he tells a story that Guys, did you believe any of what he said? <laughs> nah. <laughs> I mean, I some of it, like, pr- like some of it is is definitely true, but that part is not the majority. I think. Yeah, I think he took like <laughs> the broad outline of what happened to him that night, and then uh, basically played jazz on it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> improvise. <laughs> but it doesn't come across as someone it it doesn't come across as someone explicitly seeking attention and lying about what happened to them it comes across as something that like it comes across as sincerely delusional yeah exactly like people you know like literally reframing memories in their minds like a reporter came to mind but like you know like he believes that that's what happened to him you know yeah i i think he probably does but he that like lavish detail my favorite detail by the way well they're like there's my favorite detail and then there's the most ridiculous detail but my favorite detail are that like the way he describes like the synchronized reloading of the attack one of them drops their clip and the other drops their clip in perfect unison and that was their chance to run up like the way he describes that it's like beautiful. I mean, it's an yeah. incredibly vivid scene that he paints, but it's probably complete fucking bullshit. Like <laughs> behind the, the like from his position, like peeking like in that little alcove from the stage into the darkened audience area. I don't know if the stage lights were still on or not. If you think about it, it, it would be challenging for someone who didn't have the vision of a fucking peregrine falcon to <laughs> see two the terrorists drop their tiny clips from their machine guns simultaneously in a darkened room when you're on a lit stage and hiding <laughs> and cowering behind a curtain. <laughs> I don't know. But the the one that really got me, though, was he tells this really fucking bizarre account of like running into one of the terrorists in the hallway and he's like backs into the door and he gets like thrown out of the door like in an action movie and the fucking (laughs) hydraulic arm on the door swings it shut after him so they can't get him and i'm like (laughs) no none of that like the the, i'm trying to like the whole time he's describing this i'm trying to put it together in my head and it doesn't even begin to make sense right that you guys he was thrown into the door by like by someone being shot behind him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, they shot at a woman behind him, and the bullet went in her head, and that thrust him through the door or something. Yeah. (laughs) It was the most bizarre fucking shit. Yeah, that was a weird account. Of, like, you're watching it, and, like, audibly, it was just like, what? Like, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I watched the documentary twice, and his account did not make any more sense the second time I watched it than it did the first time. I thought maybe I had missed something. But no, I mean, it's pretty clear that this he's um, he's gussying up his account on some level. Honestly, it's kind of surprising that that, that particular that particular scene of him telling that is still in the film to me. Yeah. Because it seems like it would have been edited out. <laughs> but <laughs> then again, you know, who knows? Yeah, but how could you leave that on the cutting room floor? <laughs> true. 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 I don't know. I mean, Rudy. I think yeah. a lot of it may have been um, his desire to reframe the fact that he, you know, basically yeah. Flash the fuck out of there, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah. Once yeah. the once the fighting or whatever started. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe not a conscious attempt to do that, but maybe just you know you think of the other events because it's really painful. I I would guess it survivor's guilt and everything like that would be right. painful to you know to rem- recall events that you know involved you that where you ran away or you did something that you thought so um but yeah the account i the door one really kind of confused me too because he said like i guess the guy's arm got caught by the door when he brought the gun down but at the same time there was a guy behind him shooting and i don't know like what i, I just i was kind of confused i watched it twice too and i didn't understand that either and like what wasn't it that like he he went in the in the hallway and saw the gunman but like had he had his back to him so he was going to try to back away but then the gunman saw him and it was going to shoot him but like wasn't he out of ammo no uh, he, he like no, he, or, he said or he something brought, stopped him yeah the door frame somehow the door he somehow. went to bring his gun down or something and it got caught on the door and then i guess that caused the door to close i <laughs> It's really like the whole the whole thing like reminds me of like uh like a D and D combat where everybody's I was gonna like, say that, yeah. Like, you know, like, well, where where exactly are you right now? <laughs> like, trying to figure out like you know where you are in comparison to the ogre, in comparison to you know the halfling cleric or whatever. You know, I mean, because it's like it's like hold on, just stop, just a <laughs> and, because we gotta figure out where. Did you do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. We gotta figure out where the fuck everybody is. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a big sticker for me. It, I still enjoyed his his accounts of it, and I realized that you know, with post traumatic stress and every all the you know stuff that went on, you know, that the accounts aren't going to be a hundred percent accurate. Right. Although, like you said, Hank, I mean, there could have been more footage of the event since people yeah. almost certainly recorded that shit on cell phones. And, Something to check their accounts against. Particularly yeah. Jesse's account, but I, I think you're 100. Per- I think you hit the nail on the head, Rudy, when you talked about survivors' guilt. Because I think one of the more interesting things about this film, and one of the things that this film does pretty well, is the way that it shows how these guys are coping hmm. with their guilt about, I mean, about turning tail and running, right? Mm. Which is on some level, I mean, I think that whole story that he tells is about reframing an act of cowardice as an act of courage, turning flight into fight, you know, in some way, and reframing this act of, like, ducking the fuck out as an action movie. And I'm not saying that cowardice was not justified, because fuck oh, yeah. it, I would do the same thing, and yeah, everyone in that theater did the same fucking yep. thing. Yeah. I, yep. 
Yeah. Probably. I mean, or he does talk at one point about, well, the people who are dead are dead because they stopped to, like, you know, they threw themselves in front of someone else or they, they yeah. acted to, as, you know, but I think but that's, I mean, not that's really, a romanticization though. of it. Yeah, yeah I mean, not really. I mean, the people who are dead are dead because they, you know, ducked down when the gunfire hit and they were on the ground and they shot them. I mean, I don't know, yeah, like, that. Right. that's just what happens in those situations. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I don't. I'm not judging him for you know. No, I don't think anybody no. would judge him for no. you know, for saying that. And if anything, it's a more rich account. The account was made more rich by his trying to reframe it around what happened. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. And uh, I mean, basically, the people who are dead are dead because they didn't have an alcove next to the stage to stuck <laughs> into real fast. And that's not a function of anything he did wrong, or, or right, it, yeah. it's a function of. He was operating from like he was lucky. He was fortunate. Yeah, he was I mean, fortunate. That's... I mean, and this whole documentary is almost about dumb fucking luck. Right. <laughs> like, think about yeah. it. This guy is I don't want to say talentless, but he's not <laughs> Bob Dylan. He's not Mick Jagger. He's not yeah. the, the the Eagles of Death Metal are not the even the Eagles. They're not even the Eagles, oh, right? Poor Eagles. Oh, no, I yeah. the, the, the Eagles are fine. The I, I listen to the Eagles sometimes too, but they're not like the Eagles isn't considered like the pinnacle of rock and roll or anything. But what the Eagles are are a really easy band to listen to and enjoy. Uh, like an inherently kind of catchy band. But this is not even that. He's not even that. But what he was was a guy who happened to grow up in the same town as the guy who would later become the, 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 lead, the lead for the Queens of the Stone Age, right? Right. And he just happened through sheer fucking circumstance to bumble into a friendship with this guy. And this guy just happens to be like, it just happens to have the level of empathy where when, when Jesse's mom called him up and was like, Jesse's in dire straits, he's probably going to fucking kill himself. This guy, this rock star, basically comes home and rescues this guy and gets him a recording contract. If that's not sheer dumb fucking luck, I don't know what is. But just the sheer circumstance of being the band that happens to be playing on the night that this happens. Yeah. And the sheer circumstance of being on that stage instead of being in the audience, you know, and and all of that, like this guy, it's almost it's almost like you know a uh, a uh, being there, or a Forrest Gump yeah. kind of thing, like <laughs> where he he's uh, uh you know where before Jesse met Josh, he was Chance the Gardener, but. <laughs> to Josh, he was Chancey Gardner, right? And, yeah. and and that little distinction there, like that Josh saw something in him that wasn't there or felt some kind of nostalgia or something, and that transformed his life. And that, of course, is totally papered over by the documentary. But <sighs> it's, really, it's really a weird kind of story about a guy who, who basically bumbles uh, from one, tremendous life happening to i mean imagine accidentally like fucking stumbling into being imagine being the biggest fucking loser in the world imagine being one of us right like the most awkward like, weird motherfucker and uh, just stumped by sheer like sad circumstance or happy circumstance, bumbling into becoming a rock star, and then imagine bumbling your way on tour, like bumbling your way through four albums, bumbling your way into like a sold-out 
European tour, and then bumbling yeah. your way into a terrorist attack, <laughs> and then bumbling your way on fucking stage with you two at a huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just all. It's fascinating. I mean, on the level of like just the way that sheer chance rather than perhaps talent played out in this guy's life. Any other thoughts? Any other scenes or anything you want to? Uh, well, I wanted to bring up the interview scene that he did with the French reporter. Because <laughs> yes. I thought that that was That's... definitely, if not the best scene, that was rival in the rivalry for the best scene of the movie. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that was the best scene of the movie. That If, like, Errol Morris or someone, some, like, legitimately talented documentarian was remaking this, that would probably be the one scene in the movie that they'd keep intact. Mm. <laughs> I think that yes. was the one scene in the movie that like transcended the issues with the movie. Blech. Yeah. See, this this makes me wish for like that copyleft shit, you know, where basically there's no copyright or anything, and everybody's <laughs> just dancing around, and there were fan-made documentaries because right. that scene had some real quotables. Yeah. But basically, he's in this interview with the reporter, and he, you know, gun control comes up. You know, would do you think that this would have been better with you know more? limits on guns or whatever and then he basically says he says if anything you know there should be more guns because the cops came in and shot the bad guys <laughs> and you know it was like man like it and he actually i don't know like just and he said you know it i don't know i really don't know i'm kind of speechless as far as how to it, just, yeah just like because like on live, you know, national TV, you know, French TV. Yeah, in France, know, mind you, in not France, in America. Not where in America. Are kind of things are a little bit more yeah. laissez-faire, you know. Right. <laughs> in France, he's he's saying this stuff about uh, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, if any, what did he say? If anything, like, you know, it made if people. Anything, the, I think it was something like the only thing that saved us were these brave souls who had guns who came yeah, in. Right. And, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it, anything, it was really, everyone should have guns until no one has guns. That's what he said. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And he and was I just, like, uh, look at look at your laws. What have they done for you, or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I just think that was a really interesting scene to, and I thought like to leave that, that that was almost like what AJ said before. Like that was weird that they left that in because that kind of makes him, I don't know, out in in some people's minds. That makes him out as kind of like a nut. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a cuckoo bird in that scene. Throughout that <laughs> yeah, he, he's seeing real cuckoo in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> not like even a... necessarily because of his views on gun control. I mean, I'm not sure. I, 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 yeah, no. I, I, can, I can see very reasonable arguments both for and against gun control. And the heart of his argument there that on some level the French gun control laws did not prevent this attack – Oh yeah, is something that I think you you maybe have to wrestle with. But the way it's presented in the context the of his, yeah. his his like just the way he goes the fuck off, and it's right. not even just that rant about gun control. They actually include an early part earlier part of the documentary where he's talking about like the significance of the concert, and he go and right. he's like breaking up and he's crying and he's <laughs> he's totally like just unhinged over the course of that whole interview in a really fascinating way. Yeah. In a way that maybe he was when they were interviewing him for this documentary too, but it's this documentary is more carefully edited. But you got, I feel like in that moment, in that French interview, you got like 
the totally unedited, unfiltered version of this guy, of Jesse. Yeah. And it's it was revealing. It revealed a kind of pathos. I think that the rest of the movie wants him to basically wants him to be make him out to be kind of this freddy mercury teddy bear right like if you were going to go to like to um oh like build a bear and like <laughs> you take the, like the teddy bear shell right you'd stuff it with like glitter or whatever and then you'd throw a cape on it and like a, a, a fake mustache and that's what i think they want you to think this guy is Right. Like, oh yeah, he's really like vain and and like expressive and right. kooky, but he's innately lovable. But in the right ways. In all the right ways, and because they left that interview in, and because that interview is was not conducted by Colin Hanks, was not edited right. much by Colin Hanks, because this is actually a different interview, and it, because it's in the format of basically a TV interview, which doesn't have the same kind of constraints. You get to see for a moment potentially what a nutball this guy actually is, <laughs> and potentially like the like him as this kind of pathological individual, right? And you get to look at that in an uncontaminated way and without the framing that exists in the rest of the documentary. And I wish there was more of that. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, even if not like his showing his pathology, it definitely shows like. It's a genuine response to how someone responded to an act like that. I mean, it's right. the first response. You know, it's like, oh, why didn't they just kill those fuckers? You know, like, I mean, that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, I mean, like, that is really, it was just really a moment of honesty, you know, in the documentary that was kind of had a lot of obfusc obfuscation and stuff around his personality and other stuff. But yeah, it was, yeah, it was exactly. Real. I mean, exactly. I don't know. It just, yeah. Right, like you said, it felt real in the way the rest of the real. documentary did not yeah. feel real. Yeah, exactly. AJ, Tom, you want to jump in on this? Mm. <laughs> I don't really have much to say. <laughs> I I agree with the points made previously. Okay. <laughs> Thanks no. for your contribution. <laughs> Glad well, to be here. <laughs> oh, sorry. The, the other thing that uh, from I think that same interview was uh, the part where he said, you know, this isn't really about gun control or about, you know, laws or whatever. This is about, you know, rock and rollers who want to shake their dick on stage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, <laughs> that, to me, that, that was basically like, OK, so you got the two the two Jesse's here. Right. You got the real, you know, honest and, you know, you know, with the gun con with the comments he made later where he said, you know, they should if everybody had guns, it wouldn't have, you know. And then you have the comment that one, where it was kinda like him trying to I guess, you know, bluster and, you know, kinda make himself Yeah, he slides know, back into his persona. His stage exactly. persona. Yeah. It almost seemed like he was more angry that he and his worshippers didn't get to shake their dicks than that <laughs> you know, eighty nine people got shot. He almost seems to perceive this more as a crime against rock and roll than as a crime against <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah, it's really, it's, that's basically what he said. Yeah. And that theme is kind of throughout the whole movie. It's like, well, you know, this is, I don't want to say like fairness or whatever, but like this idea of like, you know, we've got to make everything right, you know, in a situation yeah. where you really can't make anything right at all, yeah. you know, because it's too, I mean, 
but this desire to make every to make things right and right by the fans, you know, and that kind of stuff. You know? Right. Like Most that one of part whom were dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one part he says where you know, well, actually, where Bono was talking and he said, uh, he's like, well, it's just so unfair, you know, that these guys, you know, were out there and they had their they had their show ruined by this act. And, you know, we're not gonna let this. We're not gonna let this. You know, paint the way we do things and it's like well you know like yeah, like, yeah it's kind of unfair to them but you know like 89 people also got killed not to mention yeah. you know the another 30 or so were killed just in and around P paris at other coordinated attacks yeah i think it was like 130 people got got shot up or something something like that but so like uh yeah i mean the <laughs> i don't know like that part that thing that bono said really just that that seems to run through the movie. Yeah, right. But and the very the idea that this show, the second show, would somehow provide catharsis, make things better. Yeah. Um, I think speak especially because of the kind of show it was, and because it's yeah. just innately like because because their music is so superficial on every level, <laughs> it 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 really brings out the absurdity of trying to find a way to reconcile yourself not not necessarily to reconcile yourself to but to make tragedy right right exactly. and there are so many films like this about like 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 about, uh, about a personal tragedy about like mm -hmm. a guy's a guy loses his wife to cancer or some tragic accident or something and then he finds love again and somehow he moves on even movies about tragedy in general or about some kind of – like a plane crash or some kind of horrific event where many people are killed. Like the way people move on and deal with that and cope with that and make lives beyond that. Right. And those movies are always dumb. They are. They're always stupid. Yeah, and they're, they're always trite. Maybe, no, not always. I mean there are some movies that like – deal with the emotional aftermath of tragedy very effectively. But mm. these movies that try to like turn it towards the light, <laughs> to try to turn it like <laughs> find like something good in it, like make it lead to something good, are always trite mm. and silly. And I think mm -hmm. this movie in particular, because the answer to a terrorist attack that killed 89 people in that theater alone is a performance by the fucking Eagles of Death Metal. <laughs> really break out just how hopeless and absurd it is yeah. to try to, try to make like to try to find something good in that or to think that there's some way you can be reconciled truly reconciled to that or truly move beyond that uh, my favorite interview in the film that wasn't of jesse actually was of the guy who was he was a friend of josh's actually who just he happened to be there during the attack oh, and he yeah. witnessed the attack and <laughs> the question is well how do you cope and his answer is basically Alcohol. i get drunk a lot i drink nope, exactly. <laughs> and he even says i don't think this is the right way to handle it but i fucking <laughs> drink and i wish that there was more of that in the movie more people saying I can't handle this. I get fucking stoned. I get wasted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, 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 feel like more that, I feel like that's what the concert was about, though, because honestly, this is a rock and roll concert. What percentage of people out in that crowd do you think weren't stoned and or drunk? Yeah, like, that's pretty slow now. They basically just it's, used a bunch of, you know, substances to feel better. And, you know, they went there just to be like, yeah, we got big dicks. They didn't stop us from coming here. Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good point, Tom. It, it, it is because if you think about it, rock and roll 
in especially this kind of rock and roll is just another controlled substance. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Like even yeah. if they're not drunk and high while they're rocking out, which as you said, most of them are going to be mm-hmm. like this kind of rock and roll is a. I mean, it, it, it's cliche to say that music is a drug, but a lot of music isn't this kind of drug. Like there's a lot of music you listen to, you're sad and you put on sad music yeah. and it deepens your feeling. You get catharsis by confronting the thing that you're dealing with and seeing it reflected to you in music, or it, maybe it cheers you up because it brings you to a different, it like drags you to different emotional state in a way that's natural and honest. This is like de- literally like deadening your nerves with a narcotic or something, right? It's like <laughs> this music is loud, it's dumb, it deafens everything else. <laughs> you, you know, you can't think about the tragedy because mm-hmm. the guitar, the amplifiers are, you know, to borrow the thing from, um, Spile tap, like everything's turned oh. up to eleven, right? Yeah. Every everything's turned up to eleven, and yeah. the performances are so absurd and distracting. And it'd be it'd be really hard to sit in an Eagles of Death Metal show and think about an act of terrorism, yeah. just because everything about it is so innately distracting. But it's not like elevating or deep or it is it's like a drug it's a narcotic it's it's a you know mm-hmm. might as well be doing drugs in response so i guess that is appropriate um any anything else you've said all i have to say anyone else have some other scene or anything that they want to talk about i feel like i'm, I'm not sure if we touched enough on uh on the potential homosexuality of the film. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny because I was just going to say, like, uh, do we want to go back to the homoeroticism? <laughs> yeah, that, see, that's actually a better term, homoeroticism, because it was factually it was homoerotic, regardless of you know what people would say, but it wasn't necessarily homosexual. <laughs> I will say that a lot of the. There are a lot of moments where they slip in when Jesse and Josh are talking to each other and like trying to psych each other out and get each other going. When they slip into this kind of rock limbo, that sounds God, it sounds so sexual. Like he's he's basically like I I mean I swear to God, he basically said, Let's go out there and like come on their faces. Yeah, no, that's a, that's exactly the thing, and the uh, that the long embrace, the long slow embrace at the end of the film. Oh yeah, yeah when was, Jesse's shirt is off. Yeah, I mean that that definitely kind of went back to the. the oh, that uh, was another thing I was gonna note that I thought of pretty earlier was that um, like it shows when they're getting ready for the the big show that they come back in the end. Um, hmm. Like Jesse's looking through his closet and trying to, you know, pick out like a, a suitable, <laughs> dignified outfit to, mm. you know, for their their triumphant return, and he picks out, you know, this long sleeve black shirt with like, you know, wings on the chest. And <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. It was like, yeah, this is the one that will convey our morals to the people. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at this, we're, we're fighting back, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that actually, that reminds me of something else. There's a moment at the end of the film 
where they, <laughs> the, the, the where they're performing at the the second act when they're performing the gig that's supposed to make the other gig right. And mm. Jesse pauses like between one rock song about like filleting the devil in another or whatever, uh, <laughs> and he's like, okay, basically we're it's time to do a moment of silence yeah. you know, for the people who suffer. <laughs> yes. And it goes quiet, and the band goes quiet. And they're kind of standing there awkwardly on stage, and the audience is quiet at first, <laughs> but then the moment of silence creeps into its, like, 10th or 11th second, and people in the crowd are like, hey! <laughs> like, play, play Freebird! Like, <laughs> you know, yep. rowdy again. And yeah. that was just so perfect to me, because it's like, yeah. they just can't, like, these guys cannot stop. <laughs> like, yeah. they, there's just no place for that kind of solemn reflection in one of their sets at all, and their audience is not fucking happy. <laughs> Even though they're in the same city where people, uh, where this terrorist attack occurred, and many of the victims of the, uh, the survivors, excuse me, of the terrorist attack are sitting there up front. There's just a few assholes in the crowd who can't fucking help themselves. <laughs> and that, that was beautiful. That, that was, was that was a good thing. They were probably so gone that they didn't know what the fuck was happening. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. well. And Rudy pointed out when we were watching it, like, well, some of them maybe don't speak English since it's being mm, performed yeah. in France, and since yeah. certainly the appeal of the Eagles of Death metal isn't their rich lyricism, uh, so <laughs> maybe they just didn't fucking know what was going. On. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, any yeah. anyone want to hit any other note um, before we close up shop here? Anything left? Nope. Nope? We're done? I think we're yep. done. I think. I think we're good. I think we've given this documentary about as much as it <laughs> and its subject matters deserve. <laughs> I mean, we've uh, already run beyond its length, I think, so. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to be after editing, but, yeah. I mean, I know that when we started recording... There is light outside my window, and it's dark now, so (laughs) that says something. All right, so I think that's that. Um, You guys want to say goodbye or whatever? Goodbye. Well, Tom wanted to say goodbye. (laughs) 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 All right, well, you know what? Screw it. Fuck it. I think we're done. Fuck it.